Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good morning, Birdland. I'm Mark Brown. I've been covering the Orioles for more than a decade on CamdenChat.com and hosting this podcast for 82 episodes and counting. It is now November the 6th, 2023. The offseason is officially upon us. Anyone out there who is comforted by the Orioles losing to the eventual World Series champion can take that comfort. I am not one of those people. I want the Orioles to win the whole dang thing. They came closer this year than the majority of in the years of my life, but ultimately wasn't close enough. So before I get to the last of my Orioles season group reviews by surveying the bullpen, a quick note about the baseball offseason calendar. Today, the 6th, or specifically five days after the end of the World Series, marks the beginning of the period of free agency where any free agent can sign with any team. Everyone eligible automatically became a free agent at the end of the World Series. For the Orioles, that was Jack Flaherty, Adam Frazier, Shintaro Fujinami, Aaron Hicks, and Kyle Gibson. Additionally, today is the deadline for team and or player contract options for next season and, if necessary, beyond to be exercised or declined. And uh, teams who want to get try to get draft pick compensation for departing free agents must extend a qualifying offer, which would be a one-year $20.35 million contract for 2024 by today. The Orioles, this stuff mostly doesn't affect them right now. They don't have any option decisions to make or qualifying offer worthy free agents. So we can all, um, I guess we should all know better now than to think the Orioles might sign an impactful free agent. But starting today, it is at least a theoretical possibility. And after today, we will know what the full free agent pool looks like based on which players uh, decline contract options or opt out of contracts, as well as uh, who might have draft pick compensation attached to them. Okay, so the Orioles bullpen. As a group, the Orioles finished with the fifth best reliever ERA among all MLB teams with a 3.55. They were also top five in wins given to their relief pitchers with 44, showing, I think, that the bullpen was more or less able to hold the line a lot of nights as the offense made late comebacks in games. And they were also top five in saves with 49 of their 101 wins resulting in saves. And for as much as bullpen workload was a concern Throughout the season, the Orioles bullpen ended up with 575 and one third innings pitched, which is ninth fewest of all MLB teams this year. So not in the top five there, but still in the top 10. 
Uh, and that's a pretty big difference from last year when the Orioles bullpen threw the eighth most innings with 631 innings pitched by relievers last year. Although they were still good overall with a 3.49 ERA as a unit last year. To know what a bad Orioles bullpen looked like, you only have to look back two years ago as the Orioles bullpen was MLB's worst with a 5.70 ERA in 2021. And that year they were asked to throw 666 and two thirds innings. So that's a big difference. And, you know, it's mostly a complete roster turnover, at least in the bullpen from then until what we saw this year, which of course is part of the story of the team's improvement. The pitchers who were so bad in 2019, 20, and 21, for the most part, were not around in 2023. Okay, so individual relievers. Well, at the very back end of the bullpen, of course, Felix Bautista. Sadly, we already know he's not going to pitch for the team at all next year due to the torn ulnar collateral ligament and the Tommy John surgery that necessitated I kind of thought as I was writing this, thinking about, you know, it is a staple of fairy tales and really modern fantasy fiction that all magic has limits and all magic comes at a price. You know, Rumpelstiltskin coming back for the baby, Cinderella's carriage turns into a pumpkin at midnight. Or for my anime nerds out there, think about Full Metal Alchemist's Law of Equivalent Exchange. To obtain something, something of equal value must be lost. You could... If you wanted to be dramatic and fanciful, look at Bautista's UCL injury as part of the price for the 2023 Orioles magic to be what it was. I'm not going to be that dramatic, but you could if you wanted to. And Bautista's season totals honestly remain nearly unbelievable. 110 strikeouts over 61 innings pitched, a 0.918 whip, so you're talking less than one base runner per innings pitched, a 1.48 ERA, 8-2 and two record, 33 saves. He was, of course, not flawless, but he was amazing. By wins probability added, the context-dependent stat, he was the second best pitcher in all of baseball over the season. Uh, His 4.45 WPA was second, in fact, only to Tanner Scott. Really, former Orioles reliever Tanner Scott actually rated as the best pitcher in all of baseball for what he did with the Marlins this year. He was a 4.9 zero WPA. And if you're curious about some of the more traditional stats for Tanner Scott, those were also not too bad for him. He finished with a 2.31 ERA, struck out 104 batters over 78 innings. Uh, I'm not too upset about it. Who could have ever imagined there would be a Tanner Scott season where he only walked 24 batters in 78 innings, uh, a walks per nine of 2.8 when with the Orioles, he had a 5.5 walks per nine over five years. It's crazy. Okay, that's enough about him. Felix Bautista, you know, if he had pitched the last month of the season, he probably would have been ahead of Scott on that one stat. Absolutely a deserving all-star. We're going to miss him next year, and we got to hope he can come back strong in 2025. He will have Orioles team control through 2027, which would be his age 32 season if he returns to form and the Orioles want to keep him around for that long. The other all-star in the Orioles bullpen, Yenier Cano, earned that uh, bid thanks to a 0.82 first half ERA, pretty darn good obviously. Overall for the season, a 2.11 ERA, 2.84 FIP, 1.004 whip, so just slightly over one batter allowed or one runner allowed per inning, uh, over 72 and two-thirds innings. 
picked up eight saves, mostly after Bautista was uh, out for the year. Although it feels like Cano is a young guy since he hasn't been around with the Orioles long and doesn't have much MLB experience, he's actually going to turn 30 before the start of next season. So, I mean, the Orioles, they've already done great to turn what I still think was a throw-in to last year's Jorge Lopez trade into at least one year of an elite reliever without even getting into prospect Cade Povich and what he does or doesn't do and the two other pitchers who are still down in the minors. Uh, I mean, is Cano going to be the presumptive closer? Should he be? You know, my preliminary answer is actually no. I would really like to see someone with higher strikeout potential in the role, possibly D.L. Hall, if he proves able to handle that. I think Cano was a good setup man for the Orioles this year, and he can continue with that. Uh, His 8.1 strikeouts per nine innings, it's not ninth inning material for me. Uh, I'm also a bit reluctant, I guess, because what Cano are we going to get in 2024? Is he going to be closer to the unhittable guy in April, May, and August? Or is it going to be the guy from the other months? And, you know, we've only got one season of a track record for him. So I don't know that I'm ready to throw him in immediately into the closer role. But I don't know. It's it's going to be interesting to see how the Orioles themselves assess uh, what they're doing about all of that. Next guy, as we go down the list of innings pitched for the Orioles this year, was actually Mike Bauman, who threw 64 and one-third innings for the 2023 Orioles. I was honestly a bit of a surprise for me when I realized he was coming up here because, you know, he didn't even finish the season with the team, and he was left off the playoff roster. Uh, Maybe the most interesting thing about Bauman's season is what's ultimately just a little curiosity that he finished with a 10-1 and win-loss record. Very uh, unusual for a reliever. And as it has ended up, I think a hallmark of every good Orioles team this century is when you have some reliever who randomly wins a bunch of games. In 2012, that was Darren O'Day winning seven games as a reliever. 2014, Brad Brock won seven. And in 2016, Brock won 10. So again, I mean, it tells you that you've got an offense that's good enough to mount comebacks or break ties and a middle of the bullpen more or less good enough to keep the team in the game. Bauman, I think, was a bit of a win vulture to get those 10 wins, but still, he had to pitch decently enough to be credited with the win, or he would get hit with the uh, brief ineffective designation, and the win would go to somebody else. And, you know, that didn't happen. He got 10 wins, so good for him. Uh, The season-long results for Bauman, really only okay-ish, which, of course, is why the Orioles ended up demoting him, I think. A uh, 3.76 ERA, but he had a lot of base runners with a 1.314 whip. It's a lot of traffic on the bases, mostly because of walking 12% of the batters he faced, which added up to a 4.6 walks per nine innings, or about a walk for every other inning pitched by Bauman. It's a tough way to have success, and you know, when thinking forward on Bauman, I'm really inclined to look more at the 4.40. FIP rather than his high threes ERA. And I think it seems like the team felt the same since in September they chose to try the Jorge Lopez reclamation as a waiver claim rather than bring back Bauman from the minors for September. And when it came to setting the playoff roster, you know, they chose Brian Baker over Bauman for the ALDS. Um, Bauman, I believe, is going to be out of minor league options for 2024. So he's going to have to get himself uh, a role in next year's Orioles bullpen, or he might end up on waivers or some kind of spring training cash considerations trade. 
Next up, who's actually ahead of Bauman in games pitched with 65, but far behind in innings with 53 and one-third innings pitched, CNL Perez was a complete disaster in April and May. He was looking like he had every other year of his career before last year. After his bad month of May, I was ready to see the Orioles get rid of him. They stuck with him, and from June onward, Perez held batters to a 202 batting average, 308 on base percentage, 210 slugging percentage from June to the end of the season. That is literally one extra base hit allowed in his final 41 innings of the season. So the Orioles' patience with Perez was ultimately rewarded. He finished the year with a 602 OPS allowed against left handed batters. It is a jump from last year when he had a 536 OPS allowed to lefties, but he seems like a decent lefty specialist who's not an automatic disaster against right-handed batters. Um, He finished the season with a 3.54 ERA, even after those April and May disasters. That let him uh, be fourth best among Orioles relievers who tossed at least 30 innings. He did have an ugly 1.554 whip. Ouch. A lot of that was April and May. Uh, He's going to be a first-time arbitration-eligible player in 2024, which will be his age 28 season. MLB Trade Rumors projects he will make $1.3 million in salary for 2024. He also has no minor league options remaining, so if he struggles again, the team is going to have a choice to make on what to do about him. I will be right back after a message from a Fans First Sports Network sponsor. Okay, so let's move on. Another lefty in the Orioles' bullpen was Danny Colon. He threw 51 and one-third innings for the Orioles over the course of this season. He was the surprise arrival at the end of spring training, given up by his old team, the Minnesota Twins, for merely cash considerations. And honestly, that was, of course, one of the strokes of good fortune for the 2023 Orioles. Not that you would have known it from his career ERA of 3.92 before this season. Uh, At age 33, he found a new level with the Orioles this year, holding batters to just a 605 OPS overall, and he minimized the damage from the weak side of his platoon, allowing righty batters just a 618 OPS for the season. Ended up being the veteran in the bullpen since uh, Michael Givens ended up being hurt before the season and then was released. So Cologne, a 2.81 ERA, 1.110 whip for the season. Pretty darn good. He's got one more year next year before he will become a free agent and is projected for a $2.2 million arbitration salary from next year. So, you know, that's chump change for a guy who had the track record the Orioles did this year. Uh, There shouldn't be any question about bringing either of these guys back. Next up, as we move down the list, Brian Baker. (sighs) You know, we're all mad at Brian Baker for something or other. If you don't mind my presuming on your behalf, Uh, for me, it is still, of course, his ALDS failure, freshest on the mind. His season does not look awful compared to some of these other relievers, as he did, of course, finish with a 3.60 ERA, 3.80 FIP. These are not terrible numbers, but the ERA does not account for his terrible performance keeping runners from scoring if he entered a game with runners already on base. The inherited runner thing, I've been banging that drum for a while. It's not the failure we saw from him in the postseason, of course, but uh, it is. it was the worst thing about his 2023 regular season. Baker, he's also in that walk-too-many-dudes crew. He issued 24 walks in 45 innings. It's not a good number. Um, 
He turns 29 next month and will not even be arbitration eligible yet in 2024. And he does still have a minor league option, according to Fangraphs, for the 2024 season. So he could be a back-and-forth guy for next year, kind of like uh, Nick Vespi was for the 2023 Orioles. I'm going to get two guys out of the way at once. Austin Voth and Keegan Aiken have this in common. They returned from last year's bullpen, much worse than last year, got hurt and stunk. Voth designated for assignment before the season even ended. He had a 5.19 ERA uh, so long. Aiken had a 6.85 ERA in 24 games, ended the season on the 60-day injured list. Next year is going to be the age 29 season for Aiken, so I feel like he probably is what he is at this point. I don't know if he'll make it through the offseason. That's going to depend on how much the Orioles are considering he might be due for better fortune next year. If you do want to feel better about Aiken, his FIP, fielding independent pitching, was only 2.92, and his BABIP allowed, batting average on balls in play, an almost unbelievable 434. And again, typically for an average pitcher, that's going to be around 300 batting average on balls in play. So Maybe I am a bit harsh on Aiken to want him gone and not be sure he's going to be around. But to me, it does seem like there's going to be better reliever depth choices available. Aiken, he will have an option remaining, so the Orioles could have him be another uh, guy riding the Norfolk to Baltimore shuttle here and there. Shintaro Fujinami, another guy where we can really just be like, ah. You know, there's a reason why the Orioles only had to trade Easton Lucas to get Fujinami. He did have some good games among his 30 outings for the team, including two where he was the winning pitcher. He did flash unhittable strikeout stuff potential, but at other times, completely command-challenged and hopeless-looking. Of course, the Orioles left him off the postseason roster for good reason. Now, Fujinami, he's a free agent. He turns 30 next year. I feel like if this was a rebuilding team still, I would want the Orioles to give him a chance for 2024, but the actual Orioles for 2024 don't have room to run that experiment again, I don't think. Down to two more guys. Uh, With apologies to Vespi and everyone who threw fewer innings than Vespi, don't need to go all the way down the whole list. Uh, Jacob Webb, another midseason low-cost arrival, He was a waiver claim from the Angels, where every team with a worse record than the Orioles passed on Webb. So that was a bit of a surprise to see the Orioles wanted a guy like that. But I mean, with so many other, like with so many other guys on the team, he had good strikeout numbers, but a too high walk rate with the Orioles. Webb did make a nice first impression, nine straight scoreless outings after arriving, uh, then started to show his true colors, I think. And he might deserve to be remembered better than for giving up a home run in two of the three ALDS games, but that is what I remember. Ultimately, a 3.27 ERA in 25 regular season games with the team. He will be a first-time arbitration-eligible player next year, a modest $1.2 million projected salary. Out of options, that's why he was waived by the Angels. You know, I, I don't know. I'll be surprised to see him on next year's team, but Michael Elias surprises me all the time. And last, but certainly not least, D.L. Hall. And, you know, with as much time as he has spent on our minds, or at least my mind, it's kind of weird to think about he only actually pitched in 18 games for the 2023 Orioles. And he struck out 23 guys in 19 and a third innings pitch. So that's not exactly the crazy elite strikeout potential I am envisioning when I think maybe he should be the closer next year. 
he did walk just five guys this year. And, you know, I don't know. I think the team should just give up on trying to make him a starting pitcher, let him rip in late innings and see what happens. Although he didn't have close to Bautista like strikeout numbers this year. I do feel like he's the only pitcher in the mix with the potential to come close to filling Bautista's shoes as a guy who can come in and you know he's going to strike people out. So I don't know. DL Hall, we'll see what the Orioles end up doing there. Because, like, where do the Orioles stand? Where does their bullpen stand for next year? Of course, it is usually safe to assume an eight-man bullpen. Uh, if we sketch out returning players, we would get a bullpen with the following names if there was no uh, no surprise additions uh, or subtractions. That's Cano, Bauman, Perez, Colomb, Baker, Webb, and Hall. That's seven. And let's say Cole Irvin as the long guy in the bullpen because you always need a long guy. The Orioles went times this year where they didn't have a long guy. They kept shuffling through. I think it would have been better if they could have just had a long guy. And Irvin, I think, should be that. But it would be a very un-Orioles bullpen if they had the guys I just named because of that group. Um, the only ones who can be optioned are Cano, Hall, and uh, Baker, I believe. And if Cano and Hall are the late-inning guys, they won't be optioned. So I think the mix is probably going to change in ways we cannot anticipate right now in order to give the Orioles more flexibility and hopefully better choices than, let's say, uh, Bauman, Baker, and Webb, who I think probably showed us about the best they've got in uh, 2023. And probably it's still not quite good enough for, I think, what the Orioles are going to need going forward into next year. So, like... Just think about this time last year, you know, November the 6th, 2022, you probably would not have predicted Yenier Cano to be a key contributor, certainly could not have imagined Danny Colomb would be one. So, okay, the Orioles, they're probably going to add somebody we're not thinking about, and maybe it'll even be a free agent now that his team has won 101 games. Maybe Elias will feel like it's worth giving out a multi-year contract to a free agent reliever. Or, you know, it might end up just being more trying out internal options and waiver claim or cash consideration guys, which, you know, I mean, again, the 2023 Orioles bullpen results, it's hard to argue with them. There were some guys who were annoying, um, and I won't be sorry to not see them anymore, but there were a lot of pretty good guys and a lot of more who were good enough ultimately. So the Orioles just have to figure out who's going to be at least as good next year. And the ones who aren't going to be at least as good, will they still be good enough? Uh, you could, of course, also add into this mix Tyler Wells, who finished the season in the bullpen, although maybe is more of a rotation candidate, or even Dylan Tate, kind of a forgotten guy since he was good in 2022, but didn't ultimately throw a game for the team this year. Um, as far as Tate goes, you know, my default thought is if a guy misses a whole season with an unclear injury where he was trying to come back in the middle of the season, but was really bad in the rehab and that was stopped. It probably means, you know, he's in stick a fork in him. He's done territory, but maybe he won't be. Uh, Tate can be optioned too. So the team can let him try and figure out if there is anything left in the tank uh, down in Norfolk, if they want to use a 40-man roster spot on him. The other 40-man depth right now is a uh, recent waiver claim, Tucker Davidson, Nick Vespi, and Bruce Zimmerman. And I think that's the bullpen depth. Also on the 40-man is Seth Johnson. He's his own case as he continues to come back from Tommy John surgery. Um, I think we should expect movement from the Orioles bullpen group before opening day. I don't know who's going to move. I don't know where they're going to move to, but 
it would surprise me if they just run it back with the guys who ended the season in the Orioles bullpen. The mailbag email is camdencastpod at gmail.com. If you have any thoughts for a future episode, running a little bit long today, so we're going to wait until next week to start to dip into a bit of the backlog. I received a nice message last month from the Fancher siblings who grew up in Montana, in which I was asked to rank the eight managers, starting with Ray Miller in 1998, the eight Orioles managers, that is, starting with Miller. So that's what we'll tackle next time. Give it some thought for yourself if you feel like it uh, about how you think about the managers between then and now. And um, I don't know. Right now, I don't know. I haven't done the ranking yet. So I will also give it some thought and uh, let you know about that next time. That's all that I've got for today. If you have enjoyed this show and are not already a subscriber, please do subscribe on your preferred platform for podcasts. For the off-season, new episodes will be out every Monday morning for as long as I can manage it. So I will see you on the 13th to talk about uh, something I will think about between now and then. Good Morning Birdland is a Camden Cast production on the Fans First Sports Network. This is Mark Brown, signing off.